The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Exploring our oneness with spirit and each other. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Everybody and welcome to Main Street Vegan. We have so many exciting things happening in the vegan world here in New York City. I am looking at my brand new glorious Breville juicer, and you know how I got it in a goodie bag. I've heard about goodies like that at the Academy Awards and such places. But I've never been to the Academy Awards, but what I have been to was last night's book launch party for Joe Cross. He's the fat, sick, and nearly dead person, that famous documentary, and he has a brand new book out about juicing and getting healthy and cleansing. We're actually going to have him on the show in May. But as I look at my new juicer and think about how much fun I had at that party last night, I am just very, very grateful to God and all my guides and angels and whoever else is out there helping me that I get to be in New York City at this time in my life. And one of the reasons why that is a very worthy prayer is that we have a a gangbusters annual vegetarian food festival here in my adopted hometown. And the reason that we have it is because of the great work of two forces of nature. These young women, Sarah Gross and Nara Polywoda, just decided New York needs a veg food festival, so we may as well do it. And I have to tell you, when I went to the first one year before last, and I saw a crowd around the block, and then around the block, and then around the block again, I thought, oh, somebody's selling tickets for a rock concert. I mean, what else could it be? Well, guess what? The rock concert was the New York Vegetarian Food Festival, and it's gotten bigger and bigger, and it's going to happen yet again on March 1st and 2nd, 2014. So Sarah and Nera are with me in our first 10 today to talk about food festivals and what's going on there. Hi, ladies. Hi, Victoria. Wonderful. Hi, Victoria. Hi. So how did you guys think this up? Uh, So um, Sarah and I um, known each other since meeting at one of the events that I put on, and we decided decided to start talking about um, putting on an event for vegetarians. And through months of talking, we realized that New York City didn't have like a gangbuster massive event like you described. And so we envisioned one and decided to create it. <laughs> That's really well, you're the pretty powerful <laughs> envisioners. So, how many people did you have the first year and the second year? 
Well, our first year, we were at a smaller venue, which is actually right next door to our current venue, where we've been ever since. Um, So in our current venue, we hold 6,000 people throughout the weekend. That's about our capacity. Um, And in the first venue, what was it, Nira? How many people? Well, the first venue we could only hold, um, and it was one day, so we we could only hold about 2,000 people at a time. And the thing is, is that the the line was an actual event itself. And so um, we have no idea how many people were actually in line um, having their own little party. But um, as far as numbers and the venue, it was about 2,000. Oh, that's exciting. Well, tell us some of the highlights coming up for the 2014 event. We have so many well, speaking- great speakers, um, including yourself, which we're so well, excited to you. have you back. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Yeah, and joining you will be um, two, actually, vegan cardiologists. One is our local Dr. Robert Osfeld, um, and he's got a talk called Crushing Heart Disease, A a Healthy, Sexy Heart. And we also have um, a vegan holistic cardiologist from Michigan, Dr. Joel Kahn, and he's doing a, a talk called Holistic Tips to Power Your Heart. Um, and then as far as our chefs that are going to be on our food demo stage, we're so excited to welcome um, the chefs from Veg Restaurant in Philadelphia, um, Kate Jacoby and Rich Landau. So those are just three of the over 35 people coming this year. Oh, and all your vendors. I mean, you can taste every kind of veg food. I mean, at really all the, the veg fests. It's so exciting to just go and check everything out. You know, it used to be there was maybe one kind of marshmallow or whatever. Now there's all kinds of everything, and you get to test them out when you go to the festivals. So for somebody out there listening who is in a a large city or a small city that maybe doesn't have a festival like this, what would you advise them to get started? Well, um, well, they I should say- really check out their demographic and, you know, and start talking to their local community and, um, you know, and start partnering up with different vegetarian, vegan businesses um, because you can't do it alone. I mean, that's the, the number one thing. It is a large endeavor. Um, and then start start small and, you know, and, and get the interest going out there. But the, the main thing is to make sure you have a good network behind you to get the word out. Well, it's just so remarkable what you've done. I just want to get a word in in the short time that we have about Sarah's other of our engineer just had a a noisy accident. It's fine. Bless you, Jeff. I have had noisy accidents, too, and I am so... Oh, it's not you. Oh, you're just acting like you're shocked. Okay, pardon the noise. It's planet Earth. Sarah, you have an adopted pit bull and you have a wonderful company called Rescue Chocolate. Tell us a little about that. Okay. Well, the pit bull is actually responsible for the noise just now. I have to Sorry, admit Jeff. It. it was the pit bull. <laughs> she was um, being a little noisy, but she is the inspiration for my other company. It's called Rescue Chocolate. And um, we exist to raise awareness about how you can help um animals and shelters and how to save even more lives. But we also donate all of our profits to animal rescue groups. So um, this is one of our really busy times of year with Valentine's Day. But throughout the year, we try to just offer this um, delicious product, which is also always vegan, and um, use it as a way to educate people as well. And it is delicious. There's a lot of great vegan chocolate out there now, but yours is absolutely one of the best. It's the kind that, you know, I wouldn't like stock up and have a whole lot of it around at one time because it just might be too comforting. That's (laughs) Exactly. So let us know the website, the times, the place for this year's festival. So if anybody is here in the Northeast, they can just show up. Yeah, well, it's March 1st and 2nd. Um, 2014. It's 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. The website is nycvegfoodfest.com and tickets are available online for one or both days. Terrific. Come both days. And it's at, and it's at the Metropolitan 
It's at the Metropolitan Pavilion, which is on 125 West 18th Street. And this year, we're happy to announce that we're actually going to have two floors of it. Oh. So we've expanded. And there's going to be over 100 exhibitors. So um, it's going to be even bigger and better. That is amazing. So you have basically doubled each year, at least. That says a lot about you guys. Uh, yeah and about the interest in this way of eating and living. So thank you both so much for coming on today, and I look forward to seeing you on March 1st and 2nd. Thank you, Victoria. Thanks for having us. All right. Have a good rest of the day. And everybody else, thank you. Stay with us. Our guest coming up is Patty Brightman. She's co-author of Never Too Late to Go Vegan, and she has been the literary agent to the vegans. She's got quite a story to tell. Stay with us. When listeners like you contribute to the Unity Online Radio Network, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. To contribute, visit www.unity.fm and make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. What is the secret to happiness? Why do bad things happen to good people? What is our purpose in life? What must I do to bring healing into my life? Join Reverend Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday for a metaphysical romp. Explore fundamental unity principles put into action through real-life scenarios from people like you. Call him with your questions and spiritual challenges, and let Paul take you on a journey of profound personal understanding and transformation. That's Metaphysical Romp with Reverend Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for, for joining us today. I am so happy to get to introduce to you not only a really, really good friend of mine, a mentor, but I honestly believe that this is the woman who gave me my career as an author. My first book, Compassion, the Ultimate Ethic and Exploration of Veganism, was published by a small publishing house in the UK back in 1985. Were you born then? Maybe not. Anyway, long time ago, and Patty was one of the few people on earth who actually read it. So when I met her, she said, you know, I'm a literary agent, and I feel like I was born twice, once from my mother and once from Patty Brightman. So (laughs) thank you, Patty. You are just such a, a light in this world and in my life. Here's the official intro, Patty Brightman. 
is an advocate for animals and health, a writer and an expert public speaker. She's a former food columnist for Veg News, and she teaches cooking classes throughout the San Francisco Bay Area where she lives. She's director of the Marin Vegetarian Education Group, and if you're out there in beautiful Northern California, check them out at marinveg.org. Patty is the author with Connie Hatch of How to Say No Without Feeling Guilty, with Carol J. Adams of How to Eat Like a Vegetarian, Even If You Never Want to Be One, the perfect gift cookbook for our omnivorous friends. In fact, Jeff, that would be a good cookbook for you. I think you'd like it a lot. And Patty is the co-author with Carol J. Adams, Virginia Messina, R.D., of Never Too Late to Go Vegan, The Over 50 Guide to Adopting and Thriving on a Plant-Based Diet. And if you're thinking, that sounds familiar. Well, it is, because we had one of the other co-authors, Carol J. Adams, on a couple of weeks ago. So now we're really going to get you, if you're over 50, or your mom, or anybody you know who's over 50, to make the switch, because it's never too late. Welcome, Patty Brightman. Oh, my goodness, Victoria, thank you for that beautiful introduction. I have to say, the more I read the book, I know I wrote it, but I've been reading it over and over again since I have it in my hands, the more I realize it's even for people who want to make it to 50 feeling great. So it's specifically for people over 50, but if you're approaching 50 in the next, let's say, 5 to 10 years, there's a lot in here for you. Yeah, it's really true. I think sometimes 50 can be a great shock. I don't think... Everybody expects it to be. Maybe it's better if you do expect it, and then it won't be such a shock when it comes. But I think it is the time. I remember you and I talking about it when we were both around that time of life, saying, oh, oh. And I remember you saying, it's when you get in touch with your mortality. But this book is saying, it's when you get in touch with your being on Earth. Yes, yes, yes. It's every milestone birthday and every birthday, in fact, every day, in fact, is, is a really good reminder that our time here is limited. It's like we're not going to be here forever. What can we do to make it a little bit better for our descendants? Yeah, for, and for ourselves and our animals. It just seems to me that in, the real deal about health is just so you can live every day of your life. It's not so that you got more muscles than somebody else or fewer lines on your face. It's just so you have the most days of living and the fewest days of not living while you're here. That's probably very well said. Well, That's tell very me. Well said. Thank you. So three people wrote this book. I have never written with a co-author, really. My daughter helped me with Main Street Vegan, but she's my daughter. That's different. How can three women possibly agree enough to write a book? I personally can't imagine writing a book without co-authors. I like to collaborate, and I like to share what I'm writing, and I like to get feedback, and I like to give feedback. As you remember, my favorite part of working with you is giving feedback and brainstorming together. So it's a lot more fun to have co-authors. This book was a little bit of a challenge because there were three of us, but the way we worked was we each took an area that we felt passionately about when we first spoke, and we tackled that area. So I wrote a lot about the environment. Carol wrote a lot about social interactions and caregiving. Ginny wrote all about nutrition. Then we read each other's work and edited each other's work and picked the next topic we were each going to tackle. So it was really fun. It was like getting assignments and then calling each other during the assignment and after the assignment and talking about how, you know, how we react to it. It was just a lot of fun. But we all agreed. The thing is, it's easy to collaborate when we all agree and I'm going to be borrowing your own words here, that the vegan tent is enormous. We all agreed that going vegan is important, and it's important whatever age you are. And it's important not just for ourselves but for animals. It's important for the environment. It's just important for the legacy we want to leave. And so once we agree that's important and it's a big tent, we wanted to welcome everybody in it. So some people will be attracted to the recipes. Some people will be attracted to the ways we teach people who hate cooking and don't like recipes how to prepare really good food by assembling meals. You don't have to cook them. You can buy things ready-made and assemble them. And some people will be attracted to the issues about animals. Some will be attracted to the issues about the planet Earth. But there's something for everyone. Once you're in the vegan tent, you can go to whatever corner you want in the tent. But the vegan tent welcomes everybody. Well, amen to that. I was at this party last night. I don't know how much of the first 10 you were listening to, but the fat, sick, and nearly dead gentleman, Joe Cross, has a new book coming out, and he had this really 
fabulous party down in the Union Square area last night. And there were so many people there all interested in health coming from different approaches, definitely different approaches on the small points. And I just think it's so important that we just have fun debating the small points among ourselves, but that to the outside world where people are eating at McDonald's and having heart attacks in their 40s and going into nursing homes in their mid-60s, we need to be united and get the, the good message out. Well, I'll tell you so. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was just going to say that something in your book that's absolutely unique to me, in all the years of being vegan, I thought I had seen a recipe for everything. You have a recipe for buttermilk, which is the only dairy product that I would ever say that I missed. It wasn't cheese so much. It was buttermilk. And now I can even have that. I think the great thing about being a vegan is sometimes you have to wait a little while, but eventually there's nothing you can't have. So thanks to whoever did the buttermilk. Okay. In the age of the Internet, I have to say you can find a vegan recipe for anything. I mean, even without our book, you just go to the vegan, you know, vegan. Put in a web, you know, go to the to the web, whatever your search engine is. I use Google, but there are hundreds of them. And just put in vegan fill in the blank, vegan meatloaf, vegan buttermilk. You'll find recipes for everything. Yeah, yeah, we're we're very fortunate. So you were the environmental person for this book. Tell us about that. Oh, it was heartbreaking. It was just heartbreaking. The more I learned, the more it broke my heart. So another reason to go vegan is it heals the heart to know that we're not part of the problem anymore. We're part of the solution. It's really sad. I mean, the rainforest is just disappearing so fast. And most of the land that disappears, 70% of land in the Amazon that was once rainforest was, has been cleared to graze cattle or to raise food for cattle. It's just heartbreaking. And I know I learned as a kid that it's still true that trees are the lungs of the planet and the um, rainforest is the lungs of the planet Earth, and we're destroying it. So even as we pollute the air, we're taking away the mechanism that could clean the air and give us fresh oxygen. We're getting rid of the trees because we're raising cows. And if we raised soybeans or, or beans or grains directly for humans, we wouldn't need as much land. So the rainforest canopy is disappearing, and it's really important because it helps remove carbon dioxide, which we're putting in in record numbers. So it's just heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. I also found out, I knew, I knew that raising animals for food used a lot more water than raising food directly for humans, but the actual numbers are staggering. A lactating dairy cow produces 150 pounds of manure and requires, well, the number was, was given in, um, uh, it wasn't given in, in gallons, but it's over 200 gallons, 2,000 gallons of water. 2,000 gallons of water for every pregnant cow. It's ridiculous. This daily or? Dairy cow. A pregnant dairy cow. And we have to keep them pregnant. I mean, I think most listeners know this, or maybe they don't, that cows don't give milk any more than humans give milk. The word give has been misused in this industry to make you think that, oh, they're just giving milk. We may as well take it. The milk is produced for their offspring, so we keep impregnating them year after year after year, so they'll have babies so that they'll so-called give milk. But we take the milk away. We take the baby from the mother. To me, that's the largest injustice in all of animal agriculture, is that babies are taken from their mothers. After a nine-month gestation, the baby is taken from his mother, and they cry for each other. They look for each other. They pace. And the day that the baby calves are taken away is just heartbreaking. I can't believe that this happens routinely and nobody knows about it and nobody thinks about it when they have an ice cream cone or when they drink milk. It's just heartbreaking to me. Anyone who's a mother or who values motherhood or who respects their own mother would be appalled to see what happens so the humans can take the milk from cows. I just find that absolutely horrid. Absolutely hard. And even on the humane farms. I live in Marin County where the, the dairy farmers pride themselves on treating their cows so well. And, you know, we're the humane farmers. Buy your milk from us. They still take the babies away from the mothers because the milk is valuable and they don't want the babies drinking it. So if the baby is a male, they kill it for veal. And if it's a female, they might kill it if they have too many. Or they might just let her live the same life where she's artificially inseminated over and over again and then gives birth and then... I'm using my fingers as quote marks, then gives milk that the humans take, but the babies don't get. Yeah. It's a sad, sad story, but one of the 
happy not endings yet, but one of the twists of, of uh, the plot that I'm so happy to see is that you can walk into any supermarket and find soy milk and almond milk and coconut milk and any health food store. You can find milk made out of every kind of grain, bean, and seed <laughs> that you I know. can name. Isn't it exciting? I visited my mother in Florida, and she lives in a suburb, suburb, suburb. It's just like a suburban Florida town. And all of the coffee shops have soy milk for a soy latte. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I thought I was, like, in the middle of nowhere. And I said, do you have soy milk if I want a latte? And they said, of course. Yeah, it's it's really great. I mean, sometimes you can get too used to it. There are certainly airports uh, (laughs) that don't have it. But, yeah, it, it is beyond my wildest dreams how far we've come and one of the reasons that we've come this far is really you so we'll get back to never too late to go vegan which is an absolutely fabulous book everybody ought to buy it but i'd like to go back and get a little bit of history how did all this start for you did you grow up as a vegan Oh gosh, no! I actually I, I wrote in the book if the thirty year if the if the me from thirty years ago could see the me now she'd be laughing her head off. If anyone told her I'd be a vegan or that I'd be writing books that I'd be cooking or growing food in a garden, I, she would have laughed her head off. It wasn't me. I grew up with the standard American diet, and I edited a diet book in nine. I worked for a publishing company in New York, and I edited the book Fit for Life back in the mid eighties, and that's the book that really turned me on to vegetarianism. I remember Harvey. Diamond talking about how humans are not naturally carnivorous because carnivores will salivate when their prey goes by. And if we see a rabbit hopping by, we don't salivate. We say, oh, how cute. And the line in the book I'll never forget in that book, this is from 1984 or 1985, I think. He said, if you put a baby in a crib with an apple and a rabbit, if the baby plays with the apple and eats the rabbit, I'll buy you a new car. He's never had to buy anyone a new car, but, but I love that line. It's the first book that made me think about what's the natural diet for a human. And so just because I was that kind of editor, I went on the program when I edited the book, and oh my goodness, I lost weight, my nails got stronger, my face cleared up, and mostly I had so much energy, I ran a marathon. I had never run more than three miles in my life, and I trained for and ran a marathon that year. I just had so much energy when I stopped eating meat. I hadn't even gone vegan. I'd gone mostly vegan. But just stopping the meat, I had so much energy, I didn't know what to do with myself. I ran a marathon and finished it. I was like, oh, my gosh. And then when I moved to California, people said, you still drink milk? You still eat dairy and eggs? And I said, get off my case. How dare you tell me it's not enough? This is a huge change. And everyone told me to read John Robbins' book, Diet for a New America. And I eventually read it, and overnight I went vegan because that's where I learned about what happens to the animals. So John Robbins is really why I became a vegan, and um, there was no going back. I am, as much as I craved cheese, all I had to do was think of the babies being taken from their moms every time I went for ice cream. It was like, uh-uh, you don't need that. You don't want to contribute to that. And within about two months, I lost the craving. Mm. It wasn't very long before I stopped craving it. And back then, you had to make your own ice cream with a champion juicer and frozen bananas. I mean, that's what passed for ice cream. That was the only ingredient was frozen bananas through a champion juicer. It was like soft serve. So yes, in and a not way, bad at all, but it's not it like what we have It wasn't bad at now. all, but there weren't the choices we have now. Yeah. You know, we can, have a, we can have an ice cream party now, and there are dozens of fabulous flavors made from soy milk and rice milk and coconut milk, and they're oh, all yeah. bad. Yeah, We can have wine and cheese. We can have fondue. <laughs> it's a whole new world for vegans. You know, I know. I just, Speaking of cheese, though, can I just say I want to put in a plug for Miyoko Shinner's book, The Artisan, yes. um, Artisan Vegan Cheese. Yes. Oh, yes. my God. Those cheeses are it's so great. real. If you didn't like the stinky, runny cheeses when you ate cheese, you won't like hers because they're so authentic. Yeah. You never know they're not dairy cheeses. I mean, her cheeses are so good. And also the book, The Uncheese Cookbook, or The Ultimate Uncheese Cookbook, rather, by Joe Stepaniak. That's like the one I use all the time. That's really great. Do you know uh, John Schlimm's The Cheesy Vegan? No. That's a really great one, too. We've had John on the show. He's a fascinating fellow. He also wrote The Tipsy Vegan and Grilling Vegan Style. So he is really going out there to Main Street, giving people what they want. Exactly. That's exciting. I love the title, The Cheesy Vegan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's a great, great blessing. 
Well, you went on, Patty, from just becoming vegan to being the literary agent to the vegan. One vegans, when you were practicing as a literary agent, you just had everybody. Who were you representing? That that was because of you, Victoria. You were my first vegan client, and I said to you, how do you think I can get more vegan clients? And you said, ask them if they want an agent. And that's what happened. So my first first other vegan client after you was John Robbins, because I was a huge fan of his. And I told him that I'm a fan, and if I can help him in any way with his book, which had already been published. And then when he had another book idea, I did help him publish that. Of course, that was the one book of all of his books. The one I represented is the only one that never really sold well. <laughs> but that was because it came out the day that the Gulf War was declared. It's That's hard to get too. a lot of media for a book when, you know, you're deploying troops. Well, that's true, too, especially a book about peace. Yes. <laughs> but I know you've worked with Howard Lyman and Ingrid Newkirk and Neil Barnard and Melanie Joy. I mean, there are so many books that exist in the world. There's so much information out there that if it hadn't been for you, the world would have never had it. Well, thank so, you. But you know what's exciting, Victoria? When I became a vegan, I used to collect all the vegan cookbooks there were. And now I would need to live in a house five times bigger than this house if I were to try that. There are so many vegan cookbooks out there now. There are so many vegan books of every kind out there now that anyone who wants to learn anything about being vegan has a book at her fingertips. This so is true. It's changed a lot. They're coming out too fast to keep track of, let alone fit in my kitchen. <laughs> and what have the time to, to cook, but just knowing exactly. that it's there. And I find reading cookbooks therapeutic. It's fun sometimes, even if I'm not going to make the dish, to just read it and kind of mm-hmm. get a sense of, oh, yeah, that would be good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like looking at cookbooks to get the idea. And that one of the things we put in this book that I love, I absolutely love, and I'm the one who said we have to put this in here, there was a Texas Vegetarian Society years ago. It's changed and doesn't exist in that form anymore. But they published a book of recipes, and they had something in there that I love. They basically put spice spices together for any cuisine you want. So in our book, we basically have a section on spices where we talk about you can cook a pot of rice or a pot of lentils or both, and every night of the week you season them differently and you have a totally different meal. We have Chinese five-spice seasoning, Creole seasoning, Italian seasoning, Greek seasoning, Indian curry seasoning, Jamaica heat wave seasoning. So with the same ingredients, you just change the seasoning combination. I love this idea. I've been using this for years. I keep that book from Texas in my cabinet, even though that that group is defunct now. But we got permission from the founder to use these spice combinations, and it's so easy to make a jar of all these different spice combinations, and all you have to do is put them on lentils and rice, and you have a totally different meal with a salad and bread. Now, that's wonderful, and everybody is so busy. We don't have time to necessarily start from scratch with a recipe. And these spices are all full of antioxidants. I mean, whoever knew that cloves was packed full of more antioxidants than almost anything else on the planet, and turmeric and cinnamon. Turmeric, I know. Turmeric and ginger are like magic. Mm. Yes, especially for people over 50. So when we get back from the break, we're going to talk about just what's different. I mean, you and I did this when we were pretty young, but a lot of people are changing in midlife and beyond, and I think some of our listeners would like to know just what is the difference? Is it a little bit harder to um, teach a midlife omnivore some new vegan tricks? The book is Never Too Late to Go Vegan, The Over 50 Guide to Adopting and Thriving on a Plant-Based Diet with more than 75 recipes, 75 recipes. Think how long you could eat on 75 recipes. We'll be back right after this. Imagine the powerful, poignant poetry of Unity Poet Laureate James Dillett Freeman. Beautifully put to music by award-winning songwriter Kathy DeWitt. It's here, The Traveler, new music to the words of James Dillett Freeman, a remarkable collaboration across space and time. from 
Visit thetraveler.us to get the CD, songbook, and free downloads. The Great Forgetting. That's what some call this time in which we are living. It is a time when we have become so youth-obsessed and age-averse that the wisdom and experience of our elders is being marginalized and in too many cases lost. Each Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central Time, George and Sedina Campanelli, co-founders of Age Nation and co-authors of the award-winning Do Not Go Quietly, talk with some of the leading wisdom keepers of our time about how we can use this precious gift called our lives to create a more sane, sustainable, conscious, and loving world. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Central on Do Not Go Quietly, Conversations with the Wisdom Keepers, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back to the Main Street Vegan Show. I am here with one of my favorite people on the planet, Miss Patty Brightman. She is co-author of Never Too Late to Go Vegan. And there is a website for that book, nevertolatetogovegan.com. So before the break, Patty, we were talking about what is the difference? You go vegan at 25, you go vegan at 65. Same I think the process? There is a little bit of a difference in terms of what you want to focus on because at 25, all you care about is I'm saving animals, I'm saving animals, I'm saving animals, and you eat anything that's vegan. And as we get older, we want to pay more attention to the foods that are most protective. So we, as we get older, we want to pay more attention to make sure that we are eating slowly digested carbs. Carbs are great for us, but we want the kind that are slowly digested, like squashes and um, even pastas, a slowly digested carb, believe it or not, and a brown rice and quinoa. We want the carbs that are slowly digested because those help protect against chronic inflammation, which can lead to heart disease, diabetes, cancer, Alzheimer's disease, and rheumatoid arthritis. So we want to pay attention to what we're eating more as we get older. If we're worried about our skin aging and muscle loss, we want to eat antioxidant-rich foods, which are mostly whole plant foods, fruits and vegetables mostly. And we want to protect against diabetes and heart disease. I said that already. Slowly digested carbs and exercise are part of our vegan living. So we don't really think about that when we're young because we're all immortal when we're young. We think we can never die. But once we're over 50 or close to 50, we start thinking, how can I maximize this? How can I make my life a little bit better? So that's what we do. So that's the main difference is I think in my life, my focus started for health. It moved to the animals, and then it came back to health as I got older, thinking, I don't really need a second piece of birthday cake. One's enough, you know. It's just I started thinking more about my health and how every food choice we make can either help us or hurt us. This is so good, and I think there is a difference. I mean, certainly I know some young people who are very, very interested in health. Maybe they're athletes or, or they're really interested in having a kind of a fashion savvy body uh, or just, you know, really appealing to the opposite sex. But it's so true that the same kind of diet that is going to attract somebody who's older and who is really seeing something like heart disease, uh, high blood pressure as a real and present situation among their peers is going to have some different priorities than, than somebody who's younger. There's also a part of the book that deals with social issues and getting along in the world. What's your contribution to that? Well, it's interesting that the people who push back when we become vegan are those who expect us to be the same, our own children, our own families, possibly our own partners. And it's interesting that you have to be clear that this is a choice you're making and you're not expecting other people to make it with you. You'd love it if they did, but you're perfectly fine if they don't. And I think that's important because we could become insufferable if we became vegan and insisted everybody around us did it with us. Until we're ready, we're not ready. And until your loved ones are ready, they're not ready either. 
So we basically encourage you to do what you can to make them comfortable, not necessarily cooking their old familiar foods, but when the kids come home from college and they expect what you've always done and you're doing it differently, it's time to learn the veganized version of what you've always done. So in our book, we teach you how to veganize dozens of different recipes, not just for the ingredients of those recipes like the sour cream and the sour milk and the cheese. We teach you how to veganize lasagna. We teach you how to veganize pot roast. You know, we teach you how to make your own seitan, which is a meat wheat that can substitute as all kinds of meat. So basically, you can keep tradition and just learn to veganize the traditional foods. You can also get your family involved as sous chefs and invite them into the kitchen to help you, to demystify it, show them it's not so strange, it's not that different. So it, we, want, we want to make sure we show our love and we communicate, communicate clearly why we're doing what we're doing and not make it sound like it's my way or the highway. And it is fun to bring people into the kitchen because it's so pleasant. Nothing is bleeding. You don't have to use bleach on the countertops. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a lovely aesthetic. Yes, there's a wonderful book out by um, the same woman who wrote Eat Vegan on $4 a day. She wrote a book called Kitchen Divided. Ellen yeah, Jaffe Ellen Jaffe Jones. Jones. She wrote a marvelous book about mixed marriages where one person's a vegan and the other isn't. And there's fabulous advice in there. We have some of the similar advice in our book about all the different ways you can make that work. Right. Some, household, some households have a rule where the house will be vegan, but when you eat out, you can order whatever you want. Other people have, if you fix it, you can eat it, but I'm not touching that food anymore. You can make it and you can eat it. And other people have things about how you go your separate ways, where I'll prepare my food and you prepare your food, and, you know, I'll go out with the girls on the night that you're barbecuing your beef. It's just there are so many different ways to do it. But well, I How did it I, work for, for you and your husband? Did he convert before you guys got married? The day I met him and told him that I was a vegan, he said, that sounds easier than what I'm doing. He was on the old Pritikin program. Pritikin's now a vegan program. But the Pritikin diet back in 1988, when I met him, was chicken without the skin, fish only broiled, you know, with no butter. You couldn't eat avocados. You couldn't eat nuts. It was a very restrictive diet. And he found out that my only rule was I don't eat it if it had a mother. You know, I I didn't eat anything from an animal. He said, that sounds easier. I'm going to do that. And I said, well, don't commit to it just because you heard about it. Try it first. He said, no, 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 I'm going to do that. Twenty-five years later, he has never gone back. He became a vegan the day he met me, and he's never gone back, and he's never missed it. And now he teaches men who've had prostate cancer why it's important to eat a vegan diet and get off the dairy and the meat especially. Wow, that's so interesting. And something that I learned in one of Neil Barnard's books that I I just feel is so important, you know, so often people say, well, okay, I can see that if you're an adult, this is a good thing to do. You don't want to raise a kid that way. Oh, yes, you do. Because prostate cancer is one of those conditions for which it is believed that if a man goes vegan in adulthood, he will hedge his bets he'll 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 be less likely to develop that disease than if he didn't go vegan but a little boy raised vegan from early on is almost 100 percent protected from prostate cancer yeah so, milk, is not, milk is really implicated in prostate cancer and the younger you are when you start drinking it the higher your odds of getting prostate cancer when you get older yeah Now, I want to shift gears here a little bit because we're a a spirituality channel here at Unity Online Radio, and I know that you are a committed Buddhist, and people get confused with Buddhists because we read all these quotes from the Buddha saying, don't eat meat, and then we meet all these lovely Buddhists, and sometimes they're monks and nuns, and they're just lovely human beings, but they eat meat. What's going on? That's a wonderful question. That, that disconnect between what the Buddha taught about kindness and the way a lot of practicing Buddhists don't pay attention to the issue of our food choices is really painful to me. And there is a marvelous book called The Great Compassion by Norm Phelps that explains in quite great detail why this disconnect happened. And in a nutshell... 
the Buddha told monks that they could eat meat if the meat wasn't prepared for them and the animal wasn't killed for them because monks used to go out with a begging bowl and they would only eat that which was freely offered. The householders would line the streets and put their leftover food in the monks' bowl so that the monks could eat. And if the leftovers had meat, the monks could eat it because they were to accept whatever was offered freely. But if they were invited to a householder's home for a special meal, in that case, they couldn't eat meat because in that case, the animal would have been slaughtered for that monk and it would, be, would have been forbidden. So a lot of modern Buddhists think that only applies to monks. I don't have to pay attention to that. But given the way animals are raised for food today, as a practicing Buddhist, I feel it's really sad that there's this disconnect between the ethic of non-harming and the casual way in which so many of us still eat animals and milk and cheese and eggs. So along with two other Buddhist friends of mine, I founded an organization called Dharma Voices for Animals, and the website is dharmavoicesforanimals.org. And we encourage people in the Dharma community. Dharma is what the Buddha taught, so it's just another word for the teachings, or they they translate it different ways, but the, the Buddhist teachings are the Dharma. And we encourage people who study Buddhism and who practice any bit of Buddhism. I don't think of it as a religion so much as a lifestyle, because I'm really Jewish by birth and I still practice my Judaism, but I also practice Buddhism because it's more of a practice than a religion. It doesn't ask you to believe in anything. It asks you to watch how your mind works and try to be kind in the world. Anyway, DharmaVoicesForAnimals.org invites everybody to pay attention to the harm we do to animals without even knowing it. So really, I want to bring awareness to what's now a habit. We have lifelong habits and conditioning where we just eat what we've always eaten and eat in ways we've always eaten. And I'm trying to bring awareness to the impact of those choices because it's life and death to the animals. To us, it's just the casual, oh, I think I'll have the hamburger. That's death to an animal. If instead you say, I think I'll have the veggie burger, that's sparing that animal from a horrible birth and a horrible life and a horrible death. So what's a casual habit can become part of our circle of awareness and we can lessen the harm we're doing in the world. So I'm inviting everybody, not just people who follow the Buddha's teaching, but everybody can bring more awareness to our food choices and just by making that simple switch can have a huge impact in the life and death of real beings. Let me bring it down to some real practicality, because I know there are people listening to this who try to share about this in their church or their temple, and they get pushback that I think hurts more than the pushback than they would get just at the office or, or somewhere else. So in your Buddhist community, I know you've tried to work to get more vegan food options and this kind of thing. How does someone communicate with others on their spiritual path who are part of the same teaching to just open their heart to maybe, maybe the animals matter. I'm still learning how to do this more skillfully, but what I've learned recently really works is come with an attitude of inquiry rather than I know better than you. If you're really curious, you can say, I am really curious. I understand the Buddha taught non-harming, and I've come to learn that when I order dairy foods or I eat eggs, I'm doing harm, and killing is involved, and the first precept is not to take the life of another. I'm really curious, how do you as a teacher or you as a practitioner, how do you navigate that disconnect? What is going through your mind, or is anything going through your mind? Are you aware of that disconnect? To me, it seems like it's just not clicking. It just doesn't seem consistent, and I'm curious, how do you navigate that? If you come with a sense of real curiosity and not a preaching, I know better, I think it comes across much more um, palatably. And, And Buddhism is about inquiry, so I think if we come to it with a genuine curiosity... And I've been taught by another friend of mine in a similar situation who's an ardent vegan and a Buddhist. He's been teaching me how to talk to the teachers themselves about how I understand the message of non-harming. The first precept is not to take the life of another being. And another of the five precepts is not to take that which is not freely given. So milk is not freely given. There's a huge price the animal pays. Eggs are not freely given. The male chicks at a hatchery pay with their lives. They're killed the day they hatch. There's all kinds of killing in animal agriculture, even when it's for a dairy cow or a hen who lays eggs. How do we negotiate that? How is that accounted for? And just try to get the conversation going. Because you will never change somebody's mind, but you might open it enough that they start asking themselves the questions that will lead to change. 
Well, if anybody could do it, you could. And you reminded me of, of one of our wonderful mutual friends, the, the late Rin Berry. And whenever he taught for Main Street Vegan Academy and he would talk about the Ahimsa-based religions, the Eastern religions that had the non-harming as their first precept, he would say, and in those religions, even if you have to break one of the other precepts, so if there is a hunter in the forest and he says, which way did the deer go? You can break the precept of of not lying and say the deer went that way. You can break the precept of non-stealing and grab his bow. You can even break the precept of sexual purity and seduce the hunter because you would save the deer and that is the first precept. So wow, I, always... <laughs> I never heard it put that way. That's beautiful. <laughs> Isn't it? Oh, Rin had a way. Now, we just have five minutes left, but you spent your professional life in the book business. And so many people get into veganism. Maybe they're, they're physicians or, or chefs or, or some way they want to write about it, a book or a cookbook. What advice do you have for that person? First, I would encourage the person to take credit for wanting to help. I think it's wonderful. When you want to share what you know because you're so excited about it, I think that's a beautiful thing to be acknowledged. And keep that excitement um, bubbling on the burner because it's easy to get it squashed with the details of how you can then go to get published. Um, I think it would be important to find a niche that isn't already taken because the second book on Caribbean vegan food or the second book on, you know, African vegan food isn't going to be exciting and find a big market. It has to be the first. Having said that, Miyoko Shinner's new book on vegan cheese was very warmly welcomed, despite the fact that Joe Stepaniak's book on vegan cheese had been out there a long time. So if you're not going to be the first with a new idea, at least be the first with a new idea in a long time or a new approach, but find something to say that has not been said in a book before because it's very hard to find your way to the marketplace with an idea that's already out there. Even if yours is better, first counts because you can't say on the cover the first ever book to fill in the blank. So I would say find a way to differentiate your book from all other books that are out there. And then I would recommend decide whether you want to self-publish or have a publisher. And the best way to do that is to read the following two books. You want to get a book about self-publishing called The Self-Publishing Manual by Dan Pointer, P-O-Y-N-T-E-R, P-O-Y-N-T-E-R. And he talks about self-publishing and why that's a fabulous idea, and he's very persuasive. Then you want to read a book about getting published with a publisher, and the one I like best is called The Shortest Distance Between You and a Published Book. It's an older book, but it's been updated and it's still relevant. The Shortest Distance Between You and a Published Book by a woman named Susan Page, P-A-G-E. I think it's funny that that's her name. But anyway, that book makes the argument for how to find an agent and how to get published traditionally. And once you read both those books and decide which way you want to go, then you'll know what your next step is. So those books prepare you for either self-publishing or finding an agent to, to compete with the other books, you know, with the mainstream publishers. So that's my best advice is to read those two books and decide which way you want to go. That's excellent. Of course, my best advice would be get Patty Brightman to come out of retirement and be an agent again. But I know (laughs) you are doing so much good for the animals as a, a vegan activist, author, teacher, and all that you do out there in Marin County and around the world, we're so, so fortunate to have you in this movement. And anybody coming to Vegetarian Summerfest in Johntown's Pennsylvania, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, in June of 2014, you'll get to hear Patty speak and meet up with her and so many other fabulous people. Thank you, Patty. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Victoria. My pleasure. Oh, I'm so glad you were here. The book is Never Too Late to Go Vegan. The website, nevertoolatetogovegan.com. Get the book. Get your mom the book. It's it's a keeper. Next week, we're going to be live with my guest here in New York City, Tim Van Orden, the raw runner. So get your vegan running shoes on, and we're going to learn how to be fit and eat a lot more salad and use my brand new juicer. Thanks, everybody, for being part of our show today. God bless you, and eat your veggies. Bye, all. 
Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Spirituality into your own hands? Bucking corporate religion in favor of finding your own path? Do you cross the boundary between religion and science? Or between religions themselves? Do you like a dose of humor with your truth-seeking? If you answered yes, you're what we call a holy rascal. Join Rabbi Rami Shapiro for How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Central. Rami and his guests will engage in lively, humorous discussions about what it means to be a spiritual human being in the 21st century. How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m., only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Inspiration only takes a moment. As Reverend Felicia Blanco Cerce points out in her book, Do Greater Things, there is the potential for joy, wholeness, and expansiveness designed into every moment. And the miracle is when we recognize the constant presence of these qualities all around us. Once we see what is possible, our lives then begin to change. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ramdesh Kaur as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern, on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What if you were intentional about your life, committed to having more energy and being more vibrant? Join Reverend Temple Hayes, spiritual leader of First Unity at Unity Campus in St. Petersburg, Florida, as she guides you on a journey to an intentional and energetic life. Empower your life and fully express the wondrous energy, love, and joy you hold in your wildest imagining. Joyfully and actively know that more important than what happens after you die is the deeper and enriching concern for what happens while you're living. How can you experience an incredible life right now? Learn how each week on The Intentional Spirit. Seeing and Being, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, right here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practice, Practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach. Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Shut, shut, shut. 
Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report, bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.